Let Jesus' words humble you. If you don't, I guarantee you will be hardened. Response to God and His word always results in humility or hardening. And it might be incremental, and it often is. You've heard, you've resisted, you've heard, resisted, and gradually you become harder and harder. You hear and heed, you hear and listen, you hear and obey and respond, and God works that deep humility that starts when you say, I'm a sinner, thank you for giving me your son as a savior, and then humility just grows as you walk with Christ. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott brings a message from chapter 22 titled, Let Jesus' Words Humble You. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. This fellow that didn't dress in wedding clothes, the end of the story, and Jesus told this, I didn't. Verse 12, he asked him, how'd you get in here without wedding clothes? He was speechless. Then the king said, verse 13, to the servants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. This is the Lord Jesus speaking. I, uh, my grandson spent a couple days with me. I don't know, I think he's nine or ten. And uh, being the generous grandpa that I am, I gave him a quarter. <laughs> and he said, because we were in a candy store, you know. So I handed him a quarter. I know some of you would give a five dollar bill, but I'm just I'm cheap. But anyway, I gave him a quarter, and and I was pleased that he didn't say, you know. But he said, "Oh, thanks, Grandpa," you know. And then he walked around the the store all the, and it was this old fashioned candy store. We were over at the beach, you know, and there wasn't much you could buy for a quarter, quite frankly. But uh, he didn't. He'd think, and it reminded me back when I was a kid, because nobody handed me quarters. I just, we just, we grew up in a situation where we had to earn our money, and we went out and picked berries, and we earned money. And when I spent a nickel at that little grocery store in my hometown, I thought about it. And I remember one night after school, at night, it was dark. It was late, later in the, you know, like December or something. I remember going into that little store, and the grocer... You know, he always, he knew me, uh, and he watched, and I bought a pack of baseball cards, you know, and I left, and I'd seen him all my life, you know, he was, and he was, per usual, blurry-eyed, he was drunk as a skunk, he always was, you know, but he was a nice guy, and he, and he gave me my baseball cards, and I went home, and uh, the next morning, we lived in a small town. Did you hear? Jerry Hoyt is dead. What? The grocer. He died that night. Just heart attack. And I remember, it was one of the first people I ever knew personally that passed from here to eternity. And it sobered me. Because I knew Christ, even as a kid. I knew the gospel, and I knew that the Bible teaches what verse 13 says. 
Many are called, but few are chosen. It was very sobering to me. And uh, I say these things because to me, Jesus told this story to get our attention. And there's a day when we'll quit talking, we'll be speechless. And if your hope is in anyone other than Jesus Christ, there's a day when you will pass into eternity and it won't be pretty. God sent his son for us. Don't spurn him. If there were any other way to save us, he would have just thrown some religions down here. Here, read these books, follow these rules. He would have never sent his son to a cross if the wages of sin wasn't death. Don't try to come into the king's wedding feast without the king's proper clothing, okay? Then the Pharisees went, verse 15, and counseled together how they might trap him in what he said. Wow. They hated these stories that he told. People still do. You might have found yourself bristling when I told that story. And I told you it wasn't my story. Jesus told that story. The Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. The one whom everybody I meet says, oh, I respect him. But many people say, well, I don't think he's God. But I mean, he was a great guy and I listened to his teaching. But I find that really what he had to say isn't very well listened to. So it could be that you'd even be here. You say, well, I'm here listening to the Bible. Yeah, and I'm saying to you, I hope that you're not looking for ways. Look at verse 15. They went and counseled together how they might trap him in what he said. Wow. And the balance of this chapter is going to be just that. More of the same, we might say, if you've been with us in Matthew, people trying to trip up the Lord in what he said. I meet people today in 2017, all the time, quite frankly, who try to find loopholes or try to trip up what God said and not submit to what God said. And I say, wow, it's a losing battle, I guarantee you. And so they are playing the fool. But it, in one sense, you say, well, Scott, it looks like more of the same. We've been in Matthew, we've seen this. But I want to uh, take a look because this is a very instructive section and I want to just look at the big picture and then we'll come back and look at the details. What we have here is a series of questions that they brought trying to trap him in what he said. And the first one, notice verse 16, they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. The Herodians are only mentioned three times. You can hear the word Herod, you know, in it. They were a political group. We'll come back to that. But they try to trap him in what he says regarding a tax issue. <laughs> okay. Then, uh, what is it, verse 23, on the same day, some Sadducees who say that there is no resurrection came to him and questioned him. The Sadducees these groups, if you're not familiar with them, it helps to kind of take a look at it. The Herodians, we'll come back to that for a moment. The Sadducees were a religious group that were at odds with the Pharisees. Simplest way to put it is the Sadducees were the religious left. <laughs> they didn't believe in the supernatural, but they were still religious. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in spirit, but they continued to build buildings and do things religious. You know, there's a lot of people like that today. The religious left. 
The Pharisees are the religious right, if you will. And I use these terms uh, in another connection. I'm teaching uh, Acts 17, when Paul stood before the Athenians, the great philosophers of this age, and they had statues to every god. You know, it's kind of like Portland. And he said, he started by saying, I sense that you're religious in every way. And it was a bridge builder. They said, yes, yes, we are. Now, if you know Paul, he's going, oh boy, you know. And if you know Christ, you know, when you tell somebody, you're very religious, but it maybe doesn't impress you too much because you've learned it isn't religion that gets you right with God. And so when I say these were religious right, religious left, I'm saying they were the opponents of Jesus. And so when Paul started with a bridge builder, I sense you're religious in every way. They said, yeah, we are. And so he used that, I think. They were religious in every way. But he said, you don't know God. And then he goes ahead and explains it. But I'm not here to teach Acts 17, so I'll get back to Matthew 22. (laughs) Although I'm anxious to, (laughs) because it's a masterful message that he brought to the philosophers of his day. But you have the Sadducees, and they're going to bring an amazingly flimsy question to Jesus. And an amazingly, how would I put it, they've conjured something up that's ridiculous to try to trip Jesus up. And I see people doing that today. And then the Pharisees come, and they ask a pretty good question. Uh, Verse 34 When the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered themselves together. They said, well, the the leftists didn't do too well, but we'll... And they didn't like each other. There was no love lost between the two. And so then the Pharisees come, and they asked him, what's the great commandment? But they they couched it in uh, legalism, you know, what's the greatest law? But still, it's not a bad question, And uh, but even the question and the answer... In fact, let me just skip down there. We're going to come back and look at this in more detail, but look at, look at verse 37 or 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? I mean, that's not a bad question, really. What, what's the real issue? What's the great commandment? He said to them, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is, this is the great and foremost commandment. And a second, like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, without depreciating that answer at all, don't misunderstand me here, that is an indictment. I don't want a show of hands here, but which one of us loves God with our whole heart, soul, strength, and mind. Don't put your hand up, please. You see, when we're dealing with God, it humbles us. And which one of us loves our neighbor as much as we love ourselves? I mean, the two commandments he boiled the law down to do what? The law was called a ministry of condemnation. It's a ministry of death. The law is a tutor to lead us to Christ. 
And then Jesus asked a question, the final question, verse 41 through 46, and uh, he basically said, hey, if, if the Messiah is David's son, how is it that David calls him Lord? And uh, I'll read it, verse 45, if David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. Now, that's where this segment is going, and I wanted us to see it. Why couldn't they answer him, by the way? Well, because their hearts, in hearing Jesus' words, in hearing his story about the king's feast, in hearing everything he was teaching, rather than humbling their hearts, they were hardening their hearts. It's very sobering. They weren't able to answer him a word, and they didn't dare ask him anymore. Because, but they don't quit trying to trip him up. You'll see. Now, I say that because it's uh, sobering. Let Jesus' words humble you. If you don't, I guarantee you will be hardened. Response to God and his word always results in humility or hardening. And it might be incremental, and it often is. You've heard, you've resisted, you've heard, resisted, and gradually you become harder and harder. You hear and heed, you hear and listen, you hear and obey and respond, and God works that deep humility that starts when you say, I'm a sinner, thank you for giving me your son as a savior, and then humility just grows as you walk with Christ. Now, let's walk back and look at this in a little more Detail. Then the Pharisees went, verse 15, and counseled together how they might trap him in what he said. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. The Herodians were a political group, and they made common cause with the religious right quite often. And uh, they, they came and they said, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth, and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Now, uh, I want to just underline a couple things here because this has got a lot of instruction for us. We were told, were we not, why they came. They came to what? Trap him. Okay? So what do they say? Look at verse 16. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and defer to no one. For you are not partial to any. What do they say? What's their method? Well, flattery. Flattery. And, interestingly enough, they mention truth twice in a lie. <laughs> Did you see that? They don't believe he's truthful. They don't believe that he defers to no one. They hate him. But they say, teacher, we know that you're truthful and teach the way of God and... 
as a rule of thumb, I find that when people, we are so perverse in our hearts that when we say, I swear on a stack of Bibles, I'm always scared for that person. I say before God, Jesus said, and the Bible says, don't, don't take oaths. But usually the more somebody says, this is the truth, the truth, the truth, I'm nervous that they're lying. Now, it's not for me to determine, but it's been my experience. And I certainly see it here in verse 16. Twice they mention truth while they're engaged in complete deceit. And Jesus, uh, well, let me listen to their question first, you know. Tell us, therefore, verse 17, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? The poll tax was a, a tax based on the census, and it was for everybody from the Romans, and they didn't like it. And most people don't like taxes, you know. And uh, it was not popular at all. And uh, the Herodians were uh, quite supportive of the Romans. They were looked at as kind of turncoats in that way because they made common cause with the occupying Romans. And so they're trying to trap him here and get him to take sides in a tax issue. And uh, if he says yes, you know, is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar? If he says yes, boy, these Jews, they hated that tax. And they think we'll drive a wedge between him and the Jewish crowds that are listening to him. If they say no, if he says no, well, then he's an insurrectionist. And uh, you think, well, what's the Lord going to say? Well, first, notice what the Lord knew. Verse 18. Jesus perceived their malice, their wickedness. He knew. He knows my heart. He knows your heart. And he called it what it was. Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Boy, that's a strong statement, isn't it? You know, I looked it up. The word hypocrite is used 20 times in the New Testament. And every time... It was our Lord using it. He called out hypocrites, the one who can call them out. You and I, when we look at hypocrisy, we can see it, it takes one to know one almost. You know what I mean? We're, we're, we're tinged with the same issue one way or another. But when the Lord who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth, when he said, you hypocrites, boy, that's sobering. And 16 of those 20, by the way, or in Matthew. And a bunch of them are in that Sermon on the Mount that I hear people say, well, the Sermon on the Mount is kind of what I believe in. And I say, okay, well, uh, verse 19, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Boy, you know, our Lord, his simple and profound answer. They were using Roman coins, and hence they ought to pay 
Roman taxes. Who, who makes them? Who minted those coins so that we have an economic system? Who, who regulates it? The government. The government builds roads. The government does many legitimate things. Does a lot of illegitimate things too. Lest you get up and walk out. Because we're in America, we can say that. Most of the places in the world, you dare not, dare not say those things. But we ought to, we ought to, the Bible teaches a submission to the civil authorities. And you'll never find Jesus on big crusades about taxes. You just won't. Uh, so, you know, he says, hey, whose who's image is that? Well, that's George Washington. Okay, well then pay to Washington, you know, what's Washington's? But that in no way, being a good citizen, in no way fulfills your full duty. Notice verse 21. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but to God the things that are God's. Jesus is always bringing it back to the essence of things. What's really important? Yeah, yeah, the Bible teaches that we, in fact, the Bible teaches that God established human government. Prior to the flood in Noah's day, we have no record of any government. And it got awful bad, didn't it? People's hearts are so wicked. Without human government, it just gets worse and worse. You say, well, it's pretty bad with government. I agree. But we ought, anarchy is not, you know. And so God had gotten to the point where he said, and he destroyed the whole world and started over. And when Noah got off the boat, he established human government right there in Genesis 9. And he gave many rules to Israel later to establish human government within his chosen nation. But uh, the Bible everywhere teaches that human government is ordained by God, that Christians should pay taxes, even unpopular ones. This government was going to what? Crucify Jesus, this Roman government. But he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But never render to the government or anyone else what is God's. Worship God. And he comes back to the real issue. Uh, hearing this, verse 22, they marveled, and leaving him, they went away. I have no record in this series of questions here that when they marveled at his words, that they responded with humility. Rather, they hardened themselves, and they'd go away and come back for another try. And I wanted us to see that in the big picture before we looked at the details uh, today if you hear his voice don't harden your heart you've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist please stay with us Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast today's program was titled Let Jesus Words Humble You a message from our study of the Gospel of Matthew. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to AbideInTheWord.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. 
Something we've been making available as a thank you gift for our listeners are USB flash drives loaded with Bible teaching series in their entirety. So currently, we're offering the entire teaching of the Gospel of Matthew. That's 109 full-length messages, over 50 hours of clear, Christ-centered Bible teaching on this important introductory book of the New Testament. We'd like to make these teachings available to you, our listeners. Just make your request, along with your gift of any size, to the ministry of Abide in the Word. You can do that during regular business hours by calling 503-524-7000 or mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. You can simply click on Contact Us at AbideInTheWord.us anytime. We'd love to put one of these valuable resources in your hands. Did you know Abide in the Word is available every day on Facebook? Well, right along with our daily podcast on iTunes and Google Play, our daily messages are posted to Facebook as well. You can find them at facebook.com slash abide in the word. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Oh, there are many people today who are mistaken in their thinking. We live in a day when everybody says, that's cool. You think that, I think that. No, but it doesn't matter. But I'm here to tell you, God says you can be mistaken. And God in the flesh said, you are mistaken. Why were they mistaken? Because the same reason many people are, look at verse 29, not understanding the scriptures or the power of God. One day soon, all skeptics who spurn God and ridicule those of us who follow him, one day soon they will hear the Lamb, the Lamb of God. The Lamb will say, you're mistaken. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott will bring a message titled, Are You Mistaken? Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.